What's good, Illini Nation? It's your man in the middle, Dion Thomas, and as always, bringing you nothing but the very best. And today is no exception. I mean, we have, you know, you have Hall of Famers, you have great writers, you have great storytellers, and then you have men like the great Lauren Tate, where he is all of those things combined in one. So he has covered me. He has covered many before me and will cover me and has covered many after me. So we are going to pick his brain and have some fun today on Champagne on Ice. And of course, the Champagne on Ice is brought to you by the Field of 68 Media, as well as our friends over at Bet River Sportsbook. So Lauren, welcome, yes, my friend. Thank you for joining me today. I'm looking forward to it. You know, normally this is the other way around. I mean, you, right. you're pulling me on calls and now I finally get to pull the great Lauren Tate on my podcast. You have no idea how exciting uh, this is for me. Well, I, I think it's more exciting for me because I, I don't know what we're going to talk about, but it's going to be fun. Well, you know what, Lauren? I mean, because, you know, I tell, you know, I tell people I love talking to people that have more experience than me, whether it's in my profession or whether it's in life, because I, I, I use the frame, a walking encyclopedia. And, and this is what people with more experience are. And you have that experience. I mean, you're you, is some, some of the pages dropped out along the way. <laughs> <laughs> but, and that's okay. Because you hey, still got isn't, isn't this a weird time? Do you realize who the number one team could be next week in the in the NCAA? Do you realize who it could be? Who? Uh, who Purdue? It might be Auburn. It might because, be Auburn. Oh my gosh! And, and I don't I don't know who the coach at Auburn. Is. I can't remember who the coach is. But anyway, it could be Auburn. Oh, oh trust me, I, I know who it is. <laughs> and it, it is he who shall not be named because there's no way in the world that guy should ever be the number one, has the number one team in the nation. Love his kids. He always does a great job recruiting. But man, you, there, there are ways that you do things that you, you know, that there are ways that people should do things and carry themselves in life. At least that's why I was always told. We'll, we'll, leave that for another, we'll leave that for another time. Exactly. Okay. And to reward those that do not, I have a little bit of an issue with that. But as you said, we'll leave that for another topic, another discussion. But Lauren, I mean, we were having a short discussion and I saw, found out that I have my facts wrong uh, about Coach Henson's arrival to campus. Well, we, we didn't know who was going to be named until he was actually named at the press conference. Nobody knew. And Lou had been kept, uh, uh, we, we, nobody had seen him in town or anything. So this was a, this was a surprise. But I had, I had met Lou earlier in a, at, a, at a luncheon with, with Harv Schmidt because, as I mentioned to you uh, off air, Lou, uh, Harv Schmidt coached at New Mexico, University of New Mexico, as an assistant coach there and came to Illinois as the head coach. And of course he had all that uh, New Mexico background. Lou was at New Mexico State. So they mm -hmm. had known each other there. So when Lou came to the, to the, to the state to visit, he, he came to see Lou, uh, came to see Harv. And then the three of us went out to, uh, to lunch that day is, is all I remember. We just talked basketball. It was the time, you know, it was the era of, of uh, UTEP and, and, and the, Texas Western team that had won a couple of years before. And it was just, uh, it was uh, a lot of things to talk about. And Lou had integrated uh, 
Hardin-Simmons a few years before that. We, we knew about those things, and, and yet uh, we didn't know, actually, that Lou was going to be the head coach because uh, he, he, had had, he had been athletic director mm-hmm. at New Mexico State as well as basketball coach. And wow. uh, that fact that he was athletic director, allowed, he had contacts with a lot of people through that. And that's how he, he came to be the head basketball coach. It was the contacts that he had made through as athletic director. Wow, that's amazing. Well, for uh, those out there in the Lion Eye Nation, I'm sure you know, but there may be some younger uh, listeners that may not know who Harv Schmidt was. Harv well, Schmidt that's was true. a former player and coach uh, from Kankakee, Illinois, but he was a former coach at the University of Illinois leading up to Coach Henson's time mm-hmm. uh, back during the 50s and, and early 60s, if I'm not uh, mistaken, right? Um, mm-hmm. um, yeah. Yes. And, so, was, and was, a, was a heck of a coach uh, from what I've heard. Well, he was until he had problems. And, and he had, you know, he had a, he, had one, he, he never beat Purdue was his problem. They had, they, he, when he came in, he came in with Rick Mount uh, Rick Mount was the star at Purdue with Keller and some other players on that team. They were they were a, a Final Four team. Uh, wow. Purdue was, and Illinois c- just couldn't beat them. And, and one year, uh, uh, well, they came close, but they never got it done. And uh, ultimately, there was a breakdown, and, and he had some uh, problems with with some black athletes uh, during the end of his career. And that was what uh, there was a, in, around 1969. There was a lot of uh, problems in that regard and um, you know uh, black athletes were breaking in at that time they were becoming stars and some were uh, we, we had Billy Morris who was here one year and left and went to St. Louis we had uh, Chris Berryman who was here one year and then a couple years later committed suicide oh, and, wow. uh, he was from Chicago and and there were just some we had the slush fund you know that Harv inherited so there was, it was just upheaval in that whole period in the 60s, all the way through 69. But when, when Lou came in in 75, that all changed. And Lou, Lou rebuilt the program all the way up through the 1980s. Well, you know, like I know, during the, during the 60s and early 70s, not just on college campuses across the nation, but there were, you know, in, in society itself, there, were, yep. there was a lot of racial tension. So yeah, Vietnam War played a part of that, too. Yeah, the first thing I, well, the first time I heard about, of course, the so-called integration of having players on campus, of course, was with um, uh, Texas Southern, Texas Western. But mm-hmm. then I found out with through my conversations with Coach Henson that he had done it really first, as you mentioned, at Harden Simmons mm-hmm. in integrating their athletic department. And he told me, he was like, Dion, I told him I wasn't going to take that job unless I was able to do this. You know, and that's one of the great things about uh, Coach Henson. So him landing on campus, having done what he did there, do you think that's part of the reason he was possibly hired at Illinois? Cecil, Cecil, Cecil Coleman really believed in Lou. Cecil was the athletic director at the University of Illinois at that time. As I said, they had met uh, repeatedly uh, at uh, conference meetings as athletic directors, and he believed in Lou in, in that regard. I don't know beyond that. I, I just know that Cecil was high on Lou and Cecil made the decision. Yeah, because I, I can tell you this. When I, when I heard um, what Coach Henson had done, I mean, I already, you know, I already had a ton of respect for him, but that respect jumped a hundredfold 
uh, when when I heard what he had done down at Herm um, Harden Center, and of course coming to the University of Illinois, and you know some of the issues and, and things that have gone on um, at Illinois in the past, but knowing that coach came in there and really, as you said, right at the ship, and he started this off with a couple really uh, good players uh, that he recruited, uh, bringing in you know a couple really good black athletes. Well, he he got he got Levi Cobb to come out of Chicago. That was kind of the beginning, yeah. and and it worked from there. And of course, uh, in 1989, he had all Chicago, well, all Illinois players. There yeah. wasn't a single player on that team that wasn't from the state of Illinois. Isn't that amazing? When you look at it now, and you look at all the teams we play, they're from France, they're from Japan, they're from every place in the world. We got all kinds of guys from Puerto Rico. I mean, it's it's amazing how that's changed, and and really everything has changed for me pretty dramatically because. When I came here, um, when I enrolled at the University of Illinois, we uh, we had we had all virtually all Illinois players mm-hmm. at that back in the fifties, all the way through. If you go back through, and I did this, I I I went through nearly a hundred years of, of basketball, and for the first eighty years or so, it was almost it was just dominated by in-state players, and that's changed so much now. And when we get an, you know, I. I think next year, uh, uh, how many Illinois players will we actually have? Rogers is is, is now at uh, Thornton Harvey. He's a, he's a recruit we got coming, but he's not really a, an Illinoisan. I don't think uh, he just came in this year uh, to to Thornton uh, to play for Ty Streets there. Yeah. But um, in in any case, it, it it doesn't matter anymore where players are from. And at, at the time of during the during the Harry Combs. During the, the Doug Mills, Harry Combs, Lou Henson eras, it was all Illinois. You know, and that's one exception. of the that's one of the fascinating things because you can fill out a roster just from this state alone. I mean, that's how deep the talent is. Whether you go from the north up in Chicago all the way down to the tip of the south in Cairo, you can find talented players, uh, especially at that time and during my era, that could definitely play um, at the Big Ten level. I think that's probably dropped off just a little bit now, but the game has become so global and, and so, you know, national with AAU and, and things of that nature. What do you think? Do you think that's a, a good thing or? No, what's your <laughs> I think loyalty is a good thing, <laughs> but uh, I look, it, it starts way before they get to college. You just saw, uh, we had a player from Joliet, that went to the La Malire. Uh, I may not be pronouncing it, Laporte, Indiana. Uh, mm-hmm. And what we're seeing now is really star players moving out of their high schools and, and entering these, what I call these basketball schools. Yeah. And uh, Fierce was, a, 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 we had a, a player from Joliet named the name of Fierce that just announced for Michigan State. Illinois was recruiting him, but he had already left the state. Did he really? I missed that. Yeah, he committed. He he committed to uh, Michigan State. It, it came down to Illinois and uh, Michigan State, and Izzo uh, sold him, and and that's yeah. where he's going. Now Illinois's got two good guards coming, but neither one. Uh, uh, the first two guards that are coming were not from the state of Illinois. Right. And Rogers, who is at Thornton, is I don't know if I call him a guard. He's a wing. He's six yeah. foot six or six foot seven, and. So you could call him a guard if you want to, but I mean, 
he's basically uh, he's going to play next year. I'll tell you that. He's, he's oh, really oh yes, he is. <laughs> yes, he's a quality he is. player, and he he's the best. Re- well, I shouldn't say he's the best, but he may be the best recruit that Illinois will have coming in this year. Well, I, I I've seen him play. I haven't had the opportunity to see the other two guys play as much. And Ty Rogers is a handful. And this is a kid that, you know, I was talking to Coach Underwood the other day, and he said that I mentioned Trent Frazier to him. And he said, Trent Frazier is everything that this program is. Mm-hmm. You know, the hard work, the everyday guy mentality, you know, sacrificing, you know, stepping up when necessary. I believe, and I haven't gotten this from Coach, but I believe after watching uh, Ty play, I think that young man fits perfectly in the mold of what Brad Underwood is looking for. Well, you've seen two guys that really jumped up this year. I think one, one would be Davis at Wisconsin and, and Murray from Iowa. And this, and, and he's in that, in that category, I think. Yeah. I mean, he's got that kind of potential. That doesn't mean he's going to do it. He's got to do it, but he has the potential to be that kind of player. That he does. Well, LT, let me, t- let me go back to you. Cause this is an, this is a conversation about you. What drove, what got you interested in journalism? I mean, and not just interested because this, this has to be a passion and a love and, and all of those, you know, cute little explanation words that we like to use because you've been in this position and doing this job for a very long time. It's all happenstance. When my, my dad died when I was about six or seven years old and my mother married a man by the name of Daryl Tippett from Monticello, uh, and he was, uh, he ran the newspaper over there. So I was in the newspaper business from the time I was 12 or 14 years old and, you know, involved around and watching and, and, and uh, went to journalism at the University of Illinois. So, and then of course I played sports. So the combination of journalism and sports just kind of fell together. I was on the freshman team, basketball team, and, and I was on the baseball team at Illinois. Uh, and I, I, I knew all the players that hung around. I was, I was a roommate of Don Sunderledge in 1951 when he was the MVP of the Big Ten. And wow. they went to the Final Four. And so uh, Sunderledge was, had a big impact on me. And, uh, you know, I, I just, I've been around sports ever since. I mean, I just never left it. Wow. I, was, I, was a, I spent 11. I, I came back from the Army. I played in the Army, by the way. And uh, I was on the Fort Monmouth team and came back to, to, to Monticello and was going to work for my dad. And then I got an offer from Hammond, Indiana, a, a former Illinois uh, uh, graduate. Uh, John Whitaker uh, contacted the News Gazette, says, is there anybody down there? We need somebody desperately. We just lost uh, Jim Schofield to uh, he went into another business and, and left the uh, sports writer. He needed, he needed a sports writer. And so T.O. White from the News Gazette called me and says, do you want to go up and, and uh, apply for that? So I, I did. I applied. got the job. And I spent 11 years in Hammond. And, oh, wow. Uh, and, and Hammond, Indiana. And then I, I had applied for the job in 1963 here and didn't get it. And then when it came open again in 1966, I applied again and, and got it before anybody else Actually, it wasn't was interviewed. I was I, w- I was offered the second job in 63 and then I was given the sports editorship job in 66. And that, that's wow. how I, that's how I got here. So in the family business, did you did you start off delivering papers? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, I delivered the News Gazette. I, <laughs> I, I, I definitely. Uh, yeah, we had uh, I, I was a paper boy. Absolutely. 
And of course, I helped my dad. And and I wrote my first uh, sports column for my dad. It was called Tate to Tate by Tate. (laughs) (laughs) And he's in marketing, ladies and gentlemen. And he's in marketing. (laughs) Oh, I love that. Tate to Tate by Tate. (laughs) So you have have really learned basically almost every aspect of the of, of the business yeah well, i'll tell you when i learned i came to the university of illinois in, in in the fall of 1966 the very beginning of the football season and within let's see by december the slush fund hit mm-hmm. and of course ultimately we lost harry combs howie brown of the basketball team we lost i mean the coaches pete elliott and his staff were, were you know he had to resign uh, over some money that they had given players for uh, monthly, like Rich Jones got like fifty dollars a month. I mean, there there was a, a there was a time when when the Big Ten re, uh, denied any uh, outlay of, of money to players, whereas the uh, rest of the the rest of the nation could give twenty five or fifty or I can't remember the amount now, but it wasn't much. But they were able to give a few bucks. To the two athletes during that time and we were matching that and then we're we went in excess in, in some other areas where there was um there was a pregnancy involved in which there was a lot of money involved and, and it, 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 there were a lot of things illinois got caught with their pants down and they lost and, and that really set illinois back in 1966 and 67 and of course that's when harv came in to succeed harry combs mm-hmm. because harry was uh, was fired basically and Harry was a tremendous coach. He had three of his first five teams that he coached at the University of Illinois. Three went to the final four. Wow. <laughs> wow. Illinois was really good. I mean, and, it's, it's hard to get to one. It's almost impossible to get to one final four. And you got the three in that short period of time? Yeah. That's, that's, that's only that's been two since then, 89 and 2005. Yeah, Exactly. That, that says a lot. Well, we, we, we know the brilliance of, of coach. I mean, they don't name, they don't name two floors after you at two different universities and you become their all-time lead, winner, uh, leader and wins at two different universities if, if you're not good at what you do. Yeah, he, Harry was a special guy. He was from Monticello, you know, and, and he had a tremendous record at Monticello and then an unbelievable record at Champaign High School. They had I think they were in the state finals like three consecutive years, right before oh, wow. he came to Illinois. He had Ted Beach and, and Fletcher and, and those players that were all-stars at Illinois as well. Uh, Fletcher actually received some uh, All-American nomination. Of course, Ted Beach, who's still around these days and and uh, see Ted all the time. He's, he played golf again last summer. He's a fanatical golfer. And uh, mm-hmm. he's. I think he, you know, he must be in the 93 area, something like that. About about ninety three, I think. I'm not oh, sure. Oh wow! So you you hold on. Now we got to touch on your on your because I was we were in the back one day in the in the the media room eating, and I heard you say that you had just hung up your cleats from playing. <laughs> well, I I played for a lot of I played ball a lot of years. I know that that the last thing I did before I came to Champagne. And you know this is kind of like bragging, but I was in I, I was in the national tournament out in Wichita, and I, I pitched a game against Alabama, and we won the game, 
but I had to come out in the ninth inning. I, I was I was getting in trouble, and we won the game, I think, four to two. But that was the last time I pitched, and that was I was about thirty five years old at that time, and and we came. I came back to Sham. I came back to Hammond, wrote a goodbye Hammond, uh, goodbye column in Hammond, and a hello column in Champagne for the same Sunday. <laughs> Well, there you go. Ladies and gentlemen, for those of you that don't know, Lauren was a great softball player and all around athlete and now just hit hit 90 and he's just now hanging up his softball cleat. A couple of years That's ago. I, it I want to be like you when I grow up, Lauren. Well, I tell you what, I want I wanted to keep playing about three or four years ago, maybe five years ago now. And uh, and and the team decided they wanted to win. And that that kind of eliminated me. <laughs> See, that's that's when, you know, for the for the elder statesmen, they need to change the rules. You're allowed to have at least one person in, in a specific age group on the team. Well, it was I think it, I think that works now. We had a lot of old players. We didn't have anybody as old as me. <laughs> I tell you, so, the best LC, team, you I, one of the best teams I played on in, in, in the old men's league was when we had Lon Kruger at shortstop and uh, Andy Dixon. We had two of the best infielders. I mean, I, I remember playing first base one, one night, and I couldn't hardly handle it. So that, that Lon could really throw. Really? You know, pitcher in the Cardinal. You know, he was he signed as a, as a St. Louis Cardinal pitcher. Yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah, but, but he, he, he didn't stay in the minors long, but, but he, uh, he had a great arm. Well, well, I think he, he found a pretty. I think he found a pretty good profession. You bet. You bet. <laughs> After that he other was one. a really good coach, wasn't he? Oh, he's a great coach. Great coach. Well, I looked it up the other day. I I can't. Rem I don't remember the exact numbers. I think he lost twice to Bobby Knight, and I think he beat beat him like six times. Something like go. that. I may. I may. Those numbers may not be perfect, but he won most of his games against Bob Knight. And, and that says a lot. That says a lot. I mean, we both know how how uh, special Coach Knight is. Well, yeah, and was especially when he was at Indiana. Um, but to 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 have the upper hand or hold the upper hand on a Bobby Knight coach team, you you better have been pretty doggone good. Not just as a coach, but had some horses on the court as well. Yeah, yeah. Well, I thought Lon uh, Lon puts together some really good Illini teams. He won a Big Ten championship with uh, with five seniors one year. Remember that team with uh, Turner and and uh, the two Johnsons, and uh, you know they they uh, they maximized what they could do. They, they did, because at the end is when Lucas, not Lucas, I'm sorry, Brian was a freshman my senior year. Was so he? It was, it's so funny. He tells this joke all the time. He's the only player in University of Illinois basketball history to earn two scholarships. So when he first said that to me, I looked at him. I'm like, how do you earn two scholarships? He was like, oh, yeah, mine and Lucas's. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, if it wasn't for me, Lucas wouldn't have a scholarship either, you know, picking on his younger brother. But so, LT, you, you meet Coach on campus. You, you start to, of course, cover him in his first years. Those first years were hard, you know, and I know I know I know how difficult, you know, I, you and your job, you have to be both honest, but at the same time, you, you have to get the story. How, how was that that pressure on you? One, having known Coach before he got to campus, known the things that he had done, of course, before he had gotten here um, because he was successful before he got here. And then in the beginning, it doesn't start off well. 
how, how does that sit? It's, it's a tightrope. I mean, it's, it's a, but, but it's different then than it is now. There was, there weren't so many people involved in the coverage of the team in those days. I mean, there's just a few of us. And uh, the one thing that made it easy for me in covering Lou is that he never lied to me. He, he would, he would always tell me the truth and he would tell me things. Now, look, you can't, you can't repeat this, but this is what the situation is, you know, or, or about recruiting. I mean, there were, I remember when Jared G, uh, you know, uh, the morning that Jared G announced he wasn't coming to Illinois. Mm. And, and we, we, we thought, you know, well, that's a big loss because Jared was a really good player. And then, of course, that, that whole thing changed within 24 hours. It was kind of amazing. You know, he wasn't coming and he was. And we had it work the other way, too, where mm. uh, we had where players were coming and then just changed their mind. I think uh, Cross told him he was coming, the, the great center from Chicago. You mm. remember? Uh, and the next thing we know, he was going to Purdue. Yeah, unfortunately, that's the, that's the yeah, that's the coaching world. That's that's college recruiting. So you, you're walking this tightrope. Um, you're you're unable to share some of the inside stuff that that coach was giving you. But I'll tell you this, Lauren. I, I always found and thought that your articles, um, and and I this is where with you I kind of broke my high school coaches. Um, long-standing rule which he would always tell me Dion don't read the newspaper <laughs> he was like because one or two things are going to happen he was like either you'll believe what they say if they're saying good things and you won't work as hard or you'll believe what they're saying they're saying bad things and you won't work as hard he's like so either way just don't read it but I read your I read your articles and I always found them to be sometimes a little scathing but never derogatory or personal would, would you would you agree with that? Well, I, I hope so. But I, I let me tell you that when I came here, when I arrived in Champaign, I told you the last thing I did was I pitched international tournament. I was a jock. I was a jock. I mean, there was nothing. I didn't have any intention of ever writing anything bad about Illinois. Mm -hmm. I attended Illinois. I loved Illinois. I, I was a close friend of Harry Combs. Uh, I, one little story. I got injured when I was a junior. And we were in a, playing in the tournament over here in Urbana, and I had a really bad injury to my ankle. I couldn't. I was I was laying there on the court, and they had to carry me off. And um, the first person in the locker room was Harry Combs. This is a high school game. Harry happened to be at the game, and he and I mean he and I played golf together when I was a kid. Wow. He'd, he'd come home in the summer, you know, and they didn't recruit like they do now. I mean, they he had time to spend with his mother. His mother was cooked many of my meals for lunch she uh his brother his brother ran a pool hall in Minnesota so I, what I'm trying to tell you is that I was a jock and mentally and then the slush fund hit and all of a sudden I had to wake up and we had other incidents that happened along the way uh, uh cheating which Illinois was uh, called on and so by the time you arrived I was a different person than the one that, that, that had been, you know, had been a, a total jock before. And mm -hmm. I tried to do things the best I, you know, the best I could. And I was always rocking the tightrope because I was, I was also doing color. And I was doing color and football on the radio broadcast and color on the basketball broadcast. And so, you know, you just try to do the best you can. And, you, and when, when things go bad and, and somebody gets in trouble, you have to report it. Mm -hmm. And 
I was lucky that uh, you know I didn't get booted off sooner than I did. I was on the I was on the uh, on the plane with the team until John Gross got here. Oh wow! And by the way, did you see the game that John Gross won last night? By the way, Akron, no, I didn't. They are ten down with two minutes to go. Ten down with wow. two minutes to go and scored the last eleven points and won the game. <laughs> for him you know i still talk to coach every once in a while i mean one of the best per one of the best people i've ever met he and his wife just yep. great people just didn't you know he got a good one him. last night boy he won he won a thriller good for him i'm gonna have to shoot him a text and tell him congratulations on that big it's win. Unbelievable. So, I mean, you. you can't come from 10 down i mean a 10 point lead with two, minutes, two minutes that's safe isn't it oh yeah yeah you feel a pretty doggone good about that one but <laughs> I mean, and that's one of the things I say. I mean, yes, you always, it was always truthful. It was always honest. It was always on point. Um, and I, I always enjoyed your, your your articles. So I just just wanted to say that. I'm, I'm glad you did because a lot of people don't. Of course not. <laughs> if everybody agrees with you, LT, then something's wrong. That's right. Well, My mother used to always say, you'll never make everybody in, in life happy, so don't even try. You tell the truth right. and you keep it that's moving. That's right. So, all right, LT, I got to ask you this. Again, those first few years with Coach was not, was not uh, great. He started the Orange Crush. Yeah. The first uh, student group on, you know, in the country. What 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 were your thoughts when that happened? Did you think, oh man, this guy is a visionary, or this is nuts? I didn't know what was going on. I mean, he was meeting with these the students in his home, and uh, I wasn't aware until later what was taking place. I mean, I didn't know. Um, I don't remember him talking about it. Maybe Mary might have mentioned it, but uh, I, I don't. I don't have a great recollection of that. I, I just know that. Once it got rolling, some people uh, picked up the ball and ran with it, mm -hmm. and he needed that because he had to. I mean, he couldn't do it himself. He had to. He had to get the students organized, and they had about I don't know how they maybe had ten or twelve uh, students uh, involved in the beginning, and then it built from there. Wow, you know, yeah, it's, a it's a tremendous I, thing. I, I now. I'm sorry, say Go ahead. Well, it's a tremendous. I mean, that that uh, turnout for the Purdue game was. They had everything uh, going, didn't they? Ooh, yes. Oh, yeah. And the crazy thing about that is we didn't even have all the students back on campus. I mean, school There's wasn't been a bunch even, of them there, though. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. So a whole lot of guys, a whole lot of those kids from the crush and, and everything else came back for that game. But it has been it has become such a tradition. Yeah. Um, the the orange crush and just the things that they do in the community, scholarships and things that they've started to hand to hand out. The, the work that they do in the community, volunteering. And all of this was because, you know, Coach Hanson got this thing going and now everyone else in the country has a, a student section. Yeah, I'll say. Um, I, I, don't, I don't think we were first necessarily, but we, we certainly were among them. Yeah, yeah it's, it's uh, the, the, the turnout. Of, Illinois has become and has long been a basketball community. This is a basketball community, more so than football. Part Thank of you, system. LT. Thank you. I keep telling people that no, no knocking on Illinois football. I love them, of course, but Illinois is a basketball school. You yeah. know, I, oh, people you, tell me I'm biased when I say it. <laughs> well, I, I, I realized it once again when I was at the Arizona game. I mean, that was the greatest Ooh. atmosphere. I don't, I don't know when I've been around better atmosphere than that. 
you and me both. Um, but before we go, before we move on to the next, let me tell you guys a little bit about our partners over at Bet Rivers Sportsbook. If you haven't signed up yet with Bet Rivers, now's the time because they are offering a $250 match bonus for your first deposit. But what sets them apart is that they require just one playthrough to turn your bonus into cash money. With their new Rush Pay instant approval, withdrawing your winnings is safer, more secure, and more reliable. With basketball season in full swing, get in the action by going to betrivers.com today or by downloading the BetRivers iOS app. Must be 21 years or older. If you have a gambling problem, please call 1-800-GAMBLERS. Well, we're sitting here, ladies and gentlemen, with the Hall of Famer, Lauren Tate, talking life and talking basketball. So now we've gone through some of those past teams. I got I got a couple of questions for you, LT, and I'm going to put you on the spot here. Good. All right, because you have covered so many of the successes and that's that's just saying and failures at, at the University of Illinois. But if you had to put together, let's say a top five list of best teams. Best teams. teams. Okay. Yes. Who would they be? Well, I, I would take 89 and 2005 in that order. And, and that's the problem because we know that the players are better today than they were before. Mm -hmm. But uh, that team had uh, Larry Smith and Liberty coming off the bench. And, and I just think that they had more talent. They played, the league was better then. There were more good teams then. But the 2005 team only lost one game in the, in the Big Ten, and that was the final game. And uh, they were number one in the country for a long time, and, and, and that was not true of the 89 team. The 89 team lost four games in the Big Ten. But part of those, uh, I think all of them, as a matter of fact, were when uh, Gill was out. Yes, uh, they were. So anyway, I'll, I'll start there. Now, the, we've got a real problem going beyond that because I'll take you all the way back. Please. And if I do that, uh, I think the 51 team that lost by two points to Kentucky uh, was was a tremendous team. But I knew all those guys. They were my classmates. Uh, and it was a time when, you know, if you brought if you brought Johnny Red Kerr out to play against um, if you if you and Kerr played in 52, not 51, but and they went to the final four in 52 as well. But if you brought Johnny Kerr out to play against Kofi, Kofi push him around. Yeah. Johnny was tall and skinny and yeah. had a nice hook shot and a very good touch, but, and had a, a wonderful pro career, by the way. Yes, Johnny Kerr had a, had a great pro career before he came coach of the, you know, of the Bulls. But I just think that, um, I, I, I'm, I'm just saying that, that the 51 team was special in that era. And and then you then you have to go up to Bill Self teams um, in in the, in the early 2000s when they when they had the three guys in Peoria when they had Griff and they had McLean and, and uh, Frank Williams Frank Williams a tremendous player the MVP of the league mm -hmm. but uh, I maybe maybe I would push that team ahead of the 51 team but the 51 team was pretty good and they had Sunderledge who you can't imagine since you weren't here. But Sunderledge was was the D Brown of that era. I mean, everybody loved Sunderledge. He was he was only six feet tall, but he was unstoppable. You couldn't wow. you couldn't get in, you couldn't get in front of him. I mean, he he and he could. <laughs> I thought I was, I'll tell you a little story. I thought I was a good shooter, right? 
So I, I, I joined the fraternity and I, and I'm, and I told Senator, I said, listen, you and I, I tell you what I'll do. I'll play you 10 games of pool and I'll play you 10 games of, of, of uh, shoot, shooting baskets over at, so we walked across to Huff and I didn't win a single one. He won every game, <laughs> just <Wow>. shooting. <laughs> he made everything. I made most of them. He made them all. And then we went back and played pool. And I, I was like, did you win the pool? Did you win that? I, I swept him in the pool. So, so we broke even. It was a dollar a game. And I, we, we, he won 10 over there and I won 10 at the pool table. <laughs> I was I was a card shark. I mean, I was a pool shark in those days. I was, I that's all I did was I I, I lived in the in the Combs Pool Hall in Monticello, and you know, and I I played for money all the time, and I uh -oh. held a rec I held a record over there for three rail billiards for a long time. I don't know. I'm sure it's been since broken, but anyway, three, three rail billiards. What's, what's yeah, that? billiards is a game where you don't have any pockets, okay, and you have to hit. You have to hit. Uh, you have three balls on the table, and you have to hit three rails. In other words, uh, before you hit the second ball. Okay, so you were not. You were, you were never shooting like like I played eight ball. I played eight ball. I played nine well, balls. Eight so balls I'm got not shooting directly yeah. at. You're talking about a, a table with pockets, right? And, and a and a billiard table has no pockets. So you have to hit one, two, three rails, and then hit one of the balls. Yeah, to hit the. You had to hit well, yeah. You can start out, but you can hit the first ball, and then you got to hit three rails before you hit the next ball. Ah, see, that sounds even more difficult. It is difficult. All right, LT. Well, I know not to play three ball billiard with you then. Now, well, thank I, you. I haven't played in so long, I wouldn't know which end of the cue to hold. <laughs> <laughs> so, 89 05. Toss up between 51 and say 01 since we just uh, recognized the, that team for being a Big Ten championship. Who would be, what would be the fifth? Hmm. Yeah, pressure, LT. You in the hot I seat, have, baby. You got me because I have never, I haven't thought about this. I, um, let's see. Um, I, I'm, I'm going to have, well, the Whiz kids. Okay. I can I mean, see that. I mean, gee, I should have put them in sooner. Uh, <laughs> they were before my time. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. But see, being a journalist, the great thing is you get to you get to go back and check up on those guys as well. So now I'm going to make your seat even hotter, especially okay. since you're sitting on here with the all-time leading score. Your top five players. You told me, by the way, that you're better than Brian Cook. Is that right? Of course. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I love cooking well, death, but LT, I would have killed. I'd have killed him. Uh, I would say I'm. I'm going to start with Harper and Nick Anderson. You know, and the best center that Illinois ever had, based on what he accomplished in a career, would probably be Kerr. But uh, that's just so long ago. And Thorine had the best numbers, but. They were scoring 100 points again. I mean, they were shooting 100 times. Harry's goal was to shoot 100 times. They didn't often do it, but they would, they'd shoot 80 or 90 times in a game. Wow. And so that's why all those rebounds, I mean, if you'd had that many rebounds, opportunities, just think of all the rebounds you could have gotten. Yeah. And Thorin was a good rebounder. He was really good. But the points were altogether different. The scoring, the defense was different in there. I mean, they didn't play defense the way they should have. Mm -hmm. I, I'll, I'll throw uh, Deion Thomas in there real high. Maybe, maybe. <laughs> well, I think, thank you. Thank I, think you I think you belong in the top five. 
I appreciate that. And you know who? I, you know who? You know who was really good? Was a really good player was Snake. Yeah, yeah. Ken Norman was one of my favorite players when he was coming out. When I watched him, when he was at a very high percentage. He he rebounded. He was a good player, and he was a good player in the NBA too. Yes, I don't. He's he's one of those players I don't think gets enough um, appreciation for what he did, not just in college, but also at the at the pro level as well. But you know, uh, when you throw something out like this at me, and, and I think I'm going to tell you the most underrated players, Kimon Garris, most underrated. I'm not saying he's the best five in the in the top five, but I'm just saying, wasn't he underrated? Bruce oh. Douglas was was a tremendous player, but not a shooter. True. I mean, he was a total player, but not a he, he wasn't a good shooter. He wouldn't have been he wouldn't have had any advantage by the three point shot because he didn't he didn't shoot from that far out anyway. Right. He just didn't. And and sometimes people would drop all the way back to the free throw line gardening. Oh wow, that yeah, that's, a, that's a complete disrespect for yeah. who you are as a player. Wow. But he could he could really distribute the ball. Tremendous on defense. He got a lot of steals. He got a lot of assists. He was a he was a leader on a team that won a Big Ten championship in 1983 mm-hmm. or four. And and he's, and he's still yeah. sitting there with the all as the all time leader in steals and assists. If you can believe that, boy. Yeah. Well, he had four. Here's the difference between a lot of the players that we're talking about. Some play four years. Some are now playing five years or more. Yes. And, and you go back to, to a guy like we talked about, uh, Ken Norman. Um, he only played two years. You know, he, he played in junior college. And one of the, the, the greatest practices that were ever held at the University of Illinois were when he was ineligible and he was playing against battle. He would mm-hmm. team up against battle in practice. That oh, was, I would have loved to have seen that. <laughs> I would that have was, loved to have seen that. Yeah, that was something else. But again, I, I'm sure I'm leaving out uh, a lot of players. And, and uh, we've had, what, three or four that we had Sunderley, uh, MVP of the league. We had Sunderleach, we had Kerr, we had Williams, we had Dawson. Um, mm-hmm. Am I missing somebody in Desumu? Uh, who? No, that was. Uh, he didn't get it last year, did he? No. Yeah. They gave it to Luca Garza. Some guy, some guy from Iowa got it. I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that other big guy that was he should not have gotten it, but yeah. <laughs> but this, was was there ever a greater closer than Desumo? No, not that I have seen. Not that I have seen at Illinois. You were in the final minute of the game. What player of Illinois do you want to be on the court? Oh, him! I, I want the ball in his hands. I mean, yeah. what the, you know, and that's. What that what that kid did in the three years he was at the University of Illinois, I, I don't think there's a player, definitely not since I've been following them. I've been following and watching them since the mid eighties. Uh, I, I don't ever remember anyone as a closer like him. I mean, I've had guys call me and say, "Man, they're talking about putting his his number in the jersey, his jersey in the Raptors, and da 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 da." And mine isn't there, and I'm like, "Cause his deserves to be there." There has not been a player that has transformed our program um, like that kid did. And, you know, one, staying in state, coming to Illinois, two, what he did and how he performed on the court, you know, and, and Coach Underwood said it all the time. I, I don't know what happens with Coach Underwood if he doesn't have an I.O. to sumo. I mean, that, that well, what he You did, know what? He would probably amazing. turn to somebody named Trent Frazier. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> Well, he's That's been good. 
he he's been good late, although not we're not talking about the final shot, but in the final minutes of games now, he's been real dominant. Has been lights out and has been since he was a freshman. I mean, we all know he was like a light switch, man. I mean, Trent can turn it on and, and give you buckets at any time and then you know be your best defender on the court as well. Let me ask you something. How's this team going to change now that Curbelo's back? This team. I, I'll tell you this. I, I can't put this team – on paper, I would put this team in this top five that you just named, on paper. They are not there yet, and they're a long way from being there. But what he when he is on the court, and you can see the change in that Purdue game, when he came into the game and he played within himself – and yep. not try to be the man on the court. He changes everything for this team. He changes the ability to put the ball in the basket. Everybody has to pay attention to what he's doing because he can either score, he can set up something inside, or he can set up something outside. So what, what happens? I, I don't know how they're – once they work him back into the lineup – I think what how far this team goes and how much it changes is how much he understands he needs to play within himself and not try to be. You're, you're talking about, for, you're talking about the offense end of the court, which is crucial. But I'm, I'm, I, let, me, let me tell you where, what I worry about. As long when you've got Frazier and, and um, Plummer and Corbello in the game defensively, are we going to be good enough? That's my question. I think if we can if we can clean up because um, Alfonso Plummer has been really good on the ball. He's had some struggles off the ball. This pre this game against Purdue. I mean, yeah. the back doors were all on yeah, him. Back door twice. Really hurt. And yes, they killed us. Those three things. But I think if he gets into video and he understands, I can't be watching the game. I have to be playing the game. I think that's correct, that we can correct that. And I think he's strong enough physically to be able to defend guys that are bigger than him, and he's good enough on the ball to move his feet well enough. Now, my concern is, you know, Trent's going to be fine. I, I'm not worried about him, whether the guy is bigger or smaller. Yeah. If we can get, if we can get um, Plummer to cut out the mental mistakes on defense, which he had been really solid up into this last game, then I think he will be fine. Andre Cabrello is just small, and let's just be honest about it. He's not physically going to push anyone anywhere. He's not going to – those things. So you take him and you put him on the worst score out of the guys that are on the perimeter, and I think those other two guys will hold up. So as long as he's not giving the ball to other people by turning it over and having seven, eight, nine, ten turnovers a game, I don't believe he hurts us um, from a defensive standpoint. But I think he definitely helps us from an offensive standpoint if he plays within himself. You mentioned strength, and, and, and I'm sure you can explain what it means to be strong on the post because seldom do we see Kofi back down the way Edie did that the other night. That, I thought that that was, that was very concerning to me because we had the same, uh, we were, had the same disadvantage there for a while that we normally have as an advantage in, in against everybody else. But Edie really hurt us. I mean, no, he Edie, just, Edie killed us. He's gotten so much better. So I don't want to take anything away from him. Left hand, right hand around the basket. Uh, his shiftiness has, has improved even with all his size. Now that's the problem 
where Kofi needs to continue to grow. I, I thought if Kofi it would have made quicker moves, he would have been better. With and the ball, you mean, or defensively? Offensively. Okay. I thought he would have done a lot better offensively if he didn't just try to – what he does to everybody else is pound and pound and pound and pound and pound and then try to finish. One hit, one spin move, get to the basket. You know, something a little bit more nimbler because you're not – the same as he – Edie couldn't push him down, you're not going to be able to push Edie down as well. It's just, you know, the size is too big. So you got to be able to do different things. And where Edie got the best of Kofi is he was able to make one or two contacts and then spin off of him, which would allow him to use his size and strength to the basket. Kofi never got to that point where he could make, you know, a couple hard bumps and then spin off and get to the basket. And another thing I thought that Purdue did really well was they re Edie received help. When Kofi would go to spin, there was always someone there to help. Mm -hmm. We were so concerned about their shooters as they were about ours. We never helped on that spin. You know, and a couple of times, if you look at how Benjamin Bosman Verdunk um, defended him, I thought Benjamin did a great job. When he would take those hard dribbles and try to back Benjamin down, as soon as he would pick the ball up to make a move, Benjamin got right back into his space, which didn't allow him to step around or, or, or do any of those other things. So I think those things can be corrected. Um, we're not going to run into too many uh, EDs <laughs> for the rest of the year, one more time against him, but we're not going to run into very many players at any point um, like him. You know, something that's come up uh, lately, and when we talk about this, is how important, in your view, is the Big Ten championship compared to the NCAA tournament? I've, I've, I'm, I'm going to give you the answer a man gave me last night. I said, what would you think about winning the, the Big Ten championship? He said, that would be nice. <laughs> like well that'd be nice but it isn't near as important as the tournament well, that's what I, he was saying i'll say this winning the big 10 championship is only trumped by winning an ncaa championship and winning an ncaa championship is there's so many variables that you just have no control odds are against you on the ncaa exactly so with the odds being against you, you better go out and get that Big Ten championship. I mean, it at least gives you a reprieve to the season. But I agree. It would be nice. It would be great to win an <laughs> NCAA championship. I mean, but I, I I think we watched the two best teams uh, the other night play, even though Wisconsin is really, really good. Um, and then they play Wisconsin basketball. They play badger ball. And, and, and they're doing a really good job at it. But, LT, I want to switch back. Before okay. we move on to a couple of the topics that was going on today, uh, you, you mentioned, and I just want to get your opinion on it as, as, as quickly or as, as slowly as you would like to. We talked about the slush fund. You mentioned it. Now we have the NIL. Wherein lies the difference? Oh, the well, the, the difference I mean, is that, that it's legal. <laughs> yeah. the difference is, that, well, the difference is this. The slush fund was money that the university coaches collected to pay players, mm -hmm. okay? The, the NIL is not 
the university has nothing to do with with the money. It, this is this can come from corporations. This can come from signing autographs. This can some there's a there's a ten or twelve different ways that you can make money, uh, but it, none of it comes from the university specifically. None from the coaches. I mean that's the difference, and. Uh, the NI the, the problem the biggest problem with the NIL I see is the fact that you're not supposed to use it to influence people to attend, and that's exactly what it's being used for. Recruiting, yeah. that's illegal. I mean, it's enticement. Here, I'm going to give you such and such if you'll come to the University of Illinois. If you do that, it's illegal. But who's going to catch it? I mean, it's, if if you and I have, you know, if I'm recruiting you and I and I secretly tell you that I've got so much, uh, so I've got some uh, deals for you when you get there, NIL deals. Some, so we've already seen that, uh, for instance, um, I can't remember the school, all the offensive linemen at the school get an X, X amount of that. Well, let's go back to uh, uh, tennis at, 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 uh, at Ohio State. Each player gets $25,000. They get $25,000 this year, they'll get $25,000 next year. They can't promise that next year legally, but we know that's what they're going to do. So if I'm recruiting against, if I'm Illinois and I'm recruiting against Ohio State for a player, his, his statement is, where's my 25000 if I come to Illinois? Because I'm getting 25000 if I go to Ohio State. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, that's just one little tiny example. We see a, a quarterback from Alabama. Uh, we see, we're seeing quarterbacks get a million dollars and never play a, and never play a down. Yeah, because that kid hadn't even touched the field yet. <laughs> He's playing behind Bryce Young. <laughs> I, I, I don't. But but the, the slush fund was um, not something that, first of all, the Illinois coaches went to Purdue to find out how to do it. <laughs> okay. And, and so when Illinois got caught, some other schools in the Big Ten ceased to do what they were doing mm -hmm. once they saw what was happening. But Illinois was was uh, this was an investigation by the Big Ten, by the way. This was a Big Ten, and uh, this is something that that took place within the conference. And of course, Illinois was was severely penalized and, and lost the, the coaches that I mentioned. Right. We uh, let me just a real quick story. Uh, when this thing was going on, and I didn't know what was happening. Uh, they announced that. Uh, I mean, they didn't announce. We knew privately that Pete Elliott was going to be was going to resign as football coach and become the athletic director, and his assistant Bill Taylor would be the new head football coach at the University of Illinois. And I am, I am walking into the assembly, have a meeting at Pete's house that night, and and he's going to tell the, the media that, that what's taking place, and. I'm walking in the assembly hall and Charlie Bellati, who was the SID at the time, sports information director, was walking across this, the, was walking toward his car, crying. Oh, wow. I could see he was crying. And I walked up to Charlie and I said, Charlie, what's wrong? He says, you'll find out tonight. He wouldn't tell me. Got in his car and drove away. And then that night we found out that uh, what had happened. And that, uh, boy, you can't imagine how popular Pete and Harry were. Pete Elliott and Harry Combs were them. They were they were the most popular guys in town. Everybody loved them. And all of a sudden, they're out of a job because of 
because of money that that had been improperly spent. We had, there were three funds. There was the athletic director fund, the basketball fund, and the football fund. And the funds didn't amount, amounted a few thousand dollars, maybe twenty-five or thirty thousand dollars total. And yet, wow. uh, that was in that time. That was a lot of money, I guess. And so we lost. We lost. Callie Pender was a player that we would have had. I mean, we we lost. We lost. Uh, Three members of, of the basketball team were were banned. Uh, Rich Rich Jones uh, and he was a tremendous player. He would have been All Big Ten, and he was he was lost for that season. And uh, the team lost uh, three starters. Uh, Steve Kaberski played years in the NBA, and he never got to play for Illinois. I mean, after that after that sophomore year, and you know they, it happened in December. I, we found out about it in Chicago in December, and then by within a few months, uh, players were gone. Wow. Well, you know, that's always strange because others were doing it. I mean, and well, then, it was under the table. It was the way, I guess it was just the way things were happening that were a little off keel. Well, sure, sure. And the reason the reason that it, it happened is because the assistant athletic director became upset when he found out that Pete Elliott was going to be the athletic director. He thought he should be that. This is Mel Brewer, and Mel took the the pay, took the he was the keeper of the funds. He was the keeper of the of the report. Oh he had God. all the material. He was he kept the numbers. He had a book. He took the book and gave it to the president. Wow. So the president didn't have any choice but to turn it into the Big Ten because he didn't know how what else Brewer might he might have had a duplicate copy. You know, he couldn't cover up on it. I mean, right. he, he had to, he had to report it. Not that he wouldn't have anyway. I think he was an honest man. I mean, he he. But once he turned that in, the coaches were dead. Well, that was the past, and yeah. now we're in the present. What do you think yeah. about? Oh, that's a long time ago. Oh yeah, that was a very, very long time ago. I met a guy that um, just the other day he was telling me about the slush fund, and that was back during his time. I was like, oh, okay. I was like, yeah, I wasn't even thought of. My mother wasn't even born then. <laughs> so, but we got the past into the present. Yeah, How do you think, sixty-six. What What do you think about um, the job Underwood has done so far? Oh, Underwood's a tremendous coach. I mean, he, he's 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 doing a great job. He's, he's, he's got the recruiting going. He's got, uh, he's, he's good on the, on the court. I think he, I think he's an ideal coach. Yes. I, I'm really high on Underwood I've, I've from the beginning, but he's even better than I thought he would be. Well, I'll tell you this. I, I didn't know when John, when I heard the hire, I did have to go and, and look, I'm like, Brad Underwood. Yeah. And so, you know, Frank Martin, of course, who he worked for uh, is a good friend of mine. Uh, I know Frank from way when I was living in Miami. That's how long and how far we go back. Um, and because he was he was living there at the time. So he, I called him. I'm like, coach. I was like, what can you tell me about Brad Underwood? First thing he said, he was like, Deion, you're going to love him. He's like, you're going to love him. He's like, you don't just have one of the best people. He's like, you got one of the best coaches in the country. He's like, you and the University of Illinois are going to love Brad Underwood. And he was right. I, I, I think he has done a tremendous job in turning around, as you said, a program that we were we were struggling for about you know a good seven eight years there. We we were struggling real bad. Illinois got to be in the NCAA tournament every, every year. year. Yes. And the last two and a half years, if you look at the record in the Big Ten, 
I think we've had like 31 or 32 victories and nobody else is close. Yep. I mean, Michigan State, Wisconsin, I guess, is now the second best team. And they're in the they're in the 20s, they're high 20s. But Illinois is way ahead of everybody else. And, and uh, Illinois is just winning more games. And, and yeah, know, I think uh, we were talking about that on the radio. And I think Brian quoted the record. And we've yeah, we've lost very few games and we're well over 30 wins. Um, Wait, we had won 21, uh, 20 out of 21 big ten games against Big Ten teams. Yeah. 20 of 21 and to end of the Purdue game. Now it's 20 of 22. <laughs> yeah, and that's impressive. I mean, because the thing is, you know, you've been in this long enough. You want to defend your conference and, and do what you can do on your home court and then go and win on the road. And Brad has won on the road, which is even more impressive in the Big Ten. Yeah, yeah he has. But you know, one thing I will say about this team, they haven't beaten anybody that's ranked yet. They haven't beaten a ranked team yet. You got to do that. Yes. And they'll get a chance against Michigan State next Tuesday, but we can't go. I'm not, I'm not looking past Friday, but uh, you got to beat Maryland. And then yeah. you got to come back and, and at least beat one ranked team. And because uh, so far, uh, you know, we, we've, looked, we've looked pretty good against the average teams, but if you go back and analyze the teams, uh, Missouri and Notre Dame and some of the other teams that are always beaten this year, they are down. They really are down. I mean, Missouri is really down. Yeah. They won a good game the other day, but I'm just saying they're, they're down. Uh, they're, they're, they're all over their coach. And by the way, what's it like to play a, a Maryland team that had a coaching change already? How's that affected yeah. the team? It hadn't helped them, I know. Well, I don't think it's helped them. I, you know what? I take that back. Watching Maryland under Turgeon, I, I thought they didn't play very hard for him, which was, which was kind of sad because um, they got some good players. And I thought they would have played harder for him. They're playing hard for Danny May. Now, are they winning most of those games? No. Uh, but you see, a, a, I think he's lifted the morale a, a, a little bit. Um, but I don't know. This, I, I think on their home court, this is going to be a tough game for us. We're going to have to come out, like you said, handle business and, and really put our foot down coming in, you know, and not look past Maryland looking at Michigan State. And, and I hope that doesn't happen because I think that's what took place in that Nebraska game, which we ended up winning by 10. But that was an ugly game. Oh, yeah. And, and, and then Michigan came and mucked it up and made it nasty, made it ugly, and made it dirty. The good thing is we still won by 15. And that's what good teams do. They win ugly, nasty, stinky games. Well, we close those games out. We close those games out. And actually, we yeah. came on pretty strong against Purdue, considering how far we were behind. Yes. <laughs> but uh, I'm not one to blame stuff on the referees, but you take away oh, one boy. or two, two terrible game calls in there, it's a different outcome. Every time they showed a replay, they showed they were wrong. Yes. I say every time, several times when they when they showed the replay, it was clear that Illinois got the bad end yeah. of the call. <laughs> and I tell you, LT, I told Brian before the game even started, I looked and I saw who the refs were. I said, Brian, we're in trouble. We're going to have to play great. He was like, you think? I said, yeah. I said, <laughs> we're going to have to play great. I had, you know, personally, I have nothing against DJ. I have nothing against Bo Borowski. They're if you go back and look at it, just not very when, far when, you know, they're not very fair when, when the other orange and blue, when the orange and blue team is playing. It would be possible as a writer, 
And I saw this done many, many years ago by a guy named Gordon Graham, who wrote Graham Crackers for the Lafayette paper. I like that. And he would he would hit the pistol so hard in his column and his, you know, he would be on and you could do that. There's never a close game that you could that couldn't have gone the other way if if you know officiate officiate the game can't be officiated, okay? It's physically, humanly impossible to officiate. Yeah. But people have to do it. And that's why, and I was bad in the beginning. I would, I would always be complaining about the officials. And I just, at some point, I reached a realization that you could do it every game. Let's, let's get off that, you know? And, yeah. and so I try not to do it. And we, we talk about it today, like, well, matter of factly, I think they missed some calls, but I don't, I'm not, you know, raging about it. By the way, the, the, uh, I think that we had some uh, some of the uh, people that are in charge of officiating for the Big Ten at that game, so they would know what yeah. happened. Well, yeah, as, as a as a player, as a coach, now as a journalist, I, like you, I mean, you look at it, you try to be subjective because you know it's a hard job, but the, you know, and I and as a, and this is what I told Brian, for example, the one Kofi foul when Kofi fell on the floor. And Edie oh. kind of and Edie kind of fell over him. There, there was no reason for Bo to call that foul. He, Edie he just, had tossed, he had thrown the ball. Tell the guys to get up and play ball. Yeah. Yeah. He had passed the ball. So it wasn't like it caused him to travel or he took his legs from up under. There was no reason to call that. All right, let's play on and keep it going. But you called that call, and then immediately on the other side, when there is a real call which that was a foul on the other end with the hip check on, on Ivy. But now this kid has four fouls and he's out of the game. And you have just taken away what every single person and every single person, whether they were in the stadium or watching that game on television, wanted to see, which were the big guys going against each other and both of these teams at their full strength going against one another. And as a referee, you should not be affecting the game in that manner. It's, it's the way I look at it. Too many games. Like. Too many games are impacted by fouls. I, that's why I think they should have six fouls. Or, yeah, but, I would like that. But you know, I, I know that uh, that was attempted uh, many years ago, and and it's been turned down, and it's not it's not going to happen. But I just hate to see guys out of the game with two fouls so early, and 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 it happens all the time. Yeah, both sides just players get two fouls. Coach take them out. Seldom put him back in, although on occasion, uh, Underwood will put a player back in with two fouls, but he's not going to put Kofi back in with two fouls, I don't think, no, unless the game gets out of hand. He did, by the way, put him back in with four minutes, but as the game progressed, there were several situations where he tried to take him out when we were on defense and then put him back in when we were on offense. He yeah, tried to yeah. do that. He was trying to save him, but Illinois can't, don't look for Illinois to have a, Illinois needs him in the games, and when he's not, it's going to be tough. Very true. Very true. Well, LT, I always like to do this, which is give the last minute uh, to my guests. So the last minute belongs to you. Whatever you want to say to Illini Nation, the mic is yours, big guy. Well, I, I don't have anything saved up that I want to say, but I, I think that uh, I think we should understand that, that, that this is a special period that we're going through here. I mean, we've been through enough bad times we got to appreciate the good times. This is the good times. Uh, I don't know if Illinois is going to win the Big Ten championship, but I think it's worthwhile battling for. And and I go back, uh, you know, to an era when the, the Big Ten championship was really crucial. 
Well, the first the first NCA tournament I ever went to, <laughs> Dion was at Northwestern. At Northwestern. Oh wow! It was a it was <laughs> the four the four teams there. Iowa was there, and San Francisco was there with Bill Russell, mm. and that was the first NCAA tournament team game I ever saw. That was back in the fifties, and I can tell you, it's come a long way since then. <laughs> NCAA tournament is now played in a football stadium or or, or some place where they can get eighty thousand people in there, and uh, so but but I still think the Big Ten is. It's more than it's more than just nice. Yeah. I was so well be nice to win. Well, it's more than that. And uh, I, I think when you battle over three months of a season, and now we got early games in December, and you know, and we got we got to go all the way to March. And I think this I think this tells you who the best team is. Uh, the, the NCAA tournament tells you who's best at that time, or who's mm-hmm. luckiest at that time, whose center didn't get in foul trouble, or you know. Uh, yeah. And, and, and who stayed healthy? Yeah. Any, any, and the problem with with the NCAA tournament is that if 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 this is your goal, you're going to be disappointed most of the time. You're going and for Illinois, you're disappointed all the time. Yeah. Well, LT, I appreciate it. We have to do this again. We have to all do right. this again. I mean, I, I want to continue to pick your brain. Uh, also, I have to ask. Because I have some, I have a new sponsor that came on and, and he sponsored t-shirts for me for champagne on ice. I need yeah. to know your shirt size, LT, so I can bring you bring you a shirt. Well, I I, I guess uh, medium to large. I mean, either one. I can I can wear either one. Got medium it. And I am going to bring you that shirt. And I just asked one thing because I know you got uh, at Tate Lines on Twitter. Take a picture of it for me and 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 show me some love. Just tag, <laughs> just tag champagne on ice and tag Dion in it. Then I have a I have a gift for you, which I have to get out to my other guests as well. So that anybody that's listening to this, your T-shirt is coming as well. I just got them uh, hot off the presses yeah, uh, a couple of days ago. It's it's amazing to me how you've turned out. You know why? You were such <laughs> why, a quiet you were such a quiet guy when you came here. You know, you sat out that first year. You were kind of in hibernation. Remember that? Uh, you, had, oh, yeah. you spent a I year in hibernation, did. and look at you now. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm just trying to do what what I was taught to do, LT. <laughs> trying to represent well. That's all. You certainly came. You certainly turned out well. <laughs> well, I appreciate it. So, Alina Nation, we're gonna close out this rendition of Champagne on Ice with the great Lauren Tate. And as I mentioned, you can follow him on Twitter at, at Tate Lines, as you know, or you can find him anywhere. You know, he's in the he's in the State Farm Center all the time, sitting right there next to me and Brian. So, Lauren Tate, I appreciate you. And this is Champagne on Ice. As I said, we're gonna close out thanks to the Field of 68 Media, as well as my partners over at Bet River Sportsbook. Without you guys, champagne on ice is not possible. So thank you very much and keep going. Go align on. Thanks, Dan. <laughs> <laughs>